We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Sights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, well, I seem to be uh, better rested than you for once. <laughs> yeah, I was at Ebert Fest this past week, and as anyone who's gone to any sort of convention or festival will, will tell you, if you watch movies for four days and barely sleep, eventually you will get sick, and it appears that has happened. So I will be on the softer end of the spectrum this week, and hopefully uh, talking a little less. But in direct contrast to that, let's just kick things off with um, our, our comments. We heard from a bunch of you guys this week. It's always wonderful hearing from you. We heard from Tickle Talk, uh, or actually, Simon, you heard from Tickle Talk, which is just a hilarious uh, Twitter name, I got to say, uh, who let us know that Liam Cunningham is Irish, not British, which we said last week, so that is good to know. Um, Ken called me out on my hilariously bad and unintentional pun about Doctor Who last week, so that was... Uh, entertaining, and he called you out on Muppet musicals uh, not being particularly memorable. And I got to say, Ken, I'm with I'm with you on that one. Would you like to defend your position? Oh, it's easy to defend. I don't watch Community. Well, I suppose it's easy for something to not be memorable if you don't watch it. <laughs> yes, that would be a thing. We heard from Mario about Amazing Race. He continues to dominate over there. Um, Aaron and Steve, I got to hang out with uh, them at Ebert Fest, and it was. It was a lot of fun talking with them this week. Blaine, you got to come down to Eberfest next year. You're up in Wisconsin now, uh, I believe, right? As opposed to Texas. So it's closer. So I think you should come next year. And uh, Keith is up to episode seven on Doctor Who, which means that Father's Day is the next one up for you. And that one is really damn good. It's going to tear your heart out. If you're anything like me, at least. You love Dalek and like the Slovene. So that's that. you're one up on me because I really really don't like the Slovene. So you should, uh, I would imagine like some of the stuff that's going to come with them as well too. Um, so you, there's some good stuff coming for you. And then uh, Shannon wanted to know six feet under that's my dog or X-Files is home. X-Files is home is just oh so disturbing and and horribly wrong and scary and exactly you know what it's trying to be. Have you seen six feet under that's my dog? Cause I haven't. No, I, I haven't. That's about, I think, at least a season after I quit Six Feet Under for being uh, taste, uh, too sadomasochistic, uh, which says something. <laughs> Have you seen the X-Files episode? No, I haven't, but I'm looking forward to the day when we eventually do an X-Files shelf, which will happen. Oh, yes, I'm sure it will. And uh, that's that's a disturbing episode. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if we did individual episodes of television that would be a perfect capone horror pick um but of course that's not how we roll with that segment but um yeah you sh you're gonna enjoy that one i think i might be overhyping but i granted i you know i have very low standards for for things being scary to me but um 
as I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast. But let's let's continue on. We should mention that we got to talk with the fabulous Ryan McGee from um, AV Club, where he wrote up, he wrote up reviews for Spartacus every week, and of course, Boob Tube Dude and t- talking TV with Ryan and Ryan and all the other wonderful things that he's doing. Um, so we talked to Spartacus with him. That'll be at the end of the show. A nice long segment to, in, in you know, really relive a bit of the glory. Yeah, uh, that was a really um, that was a really good one. I was very happy with it, even if there was. Well, honestly, we could have done another hour and been fine. Easily, easily, we could have done. It. We didn't even talk about you know preferential uh, Spartacuses. So clearly, Spartaki. Spartaki, yeah. Yeah, um, but uh, that was a lot of fun. That'll be at the end. Um, and we also at Sounded Sight. I mean, I have my uh, post from from Ebert Fest up. We I, I wrote a sort of a summary of each of the days, looking at each of the films and the themes of the day and sort of the experience there. You can read that at Sound on Sight. Um, I just recorded actually a podcast with some of the people who were there that will go up later in the week. So if you want to hear some discussion about those uh, those films, that'll just be at the website as opposed to on the television feed because you know, it's not TV. But, um, but yeah, I, I would recommend checking it out. It was a lot of fun. When are you going to come to something like Ebert Fest? When am I going to come to Ebert uh, When I have uh, some combination of time and money and, uh, and yes, mostly time and money. Yeah, that's a good call. That I need. <laughs> Anything else uh, sound on site we should mention? Uh, well, I do uh, the weekly Game of Thrones reviews. So those go up either late Sunday or early Monday. In this case, it was early Monday. And uh, I also was on the Game of Thrones podcast this week. Yes, um, which was so much fun. That should already be in the feed. Uh, yes, and uh, that happened. And uh, at some point, I'll I'll put up something this week. I don't know what yet, though. <laughs> but I I've, I've determined I will do something. Well, we should probably get into our week in TV, if only because we have such a, a long Spartacus segment coming later. Uh, first, let's talk about the comedies. Has the position of this administration changed toward Israel and Palestine? We. Sh- support the the state of israel of course and Mike, the, the vp is voicing solidarity with the jewish people in front of rotating pork for the jewish people and as a change the visual the deport the visual yes sir j11 what's a jonah emergency jonah move the veep away from the pig think about the sensitivities here what pork like most jews in this country are fine with pork pork smork they often say most Jews in this country are fine with pork, Mr. Davis, and pork schmork, really. You ever hear the Old Testament, Mike? Israel, Europe. Jonah, Israel, Europe. Okay, fine, Mike, but you can owe me for this. Excuse me. The comedies this week uh, that we had were Community Intro to Knots, a couple episodes of Parks and Rec, Article 2, and Jerry's Scrapbook, Bob's Burgers, The Kids Run the Restaurant, and Veep Signals. Uh, what was the standout for you this week? I think it was pretty easily Veep. Uh, it was a, a really, really good episode for them. About on par, I'd say, with the better episodes of season one. Just so many great one-liners. I'm not going to just resort to listing them off because that's not how we roll around here. But um, it definitely felt like there was a there was a great sense of they, they had just the right sense of sort of uh, joke per minute hectic, um, the, just the right sort of rhythm that an Ianucci show should have. Uh, so that that was great. Other than that, I didn't think it was a particularly memorable week for comedies. I actually, I really liked um, Parks and Rec this week. I had a lot of fun with it, but I definitely, I would agree the highlight was Veep, and um, it was a much better episode than the the last week's pre- premiere. I would say um, all the different characters seemed to be, you know, really 
firing on all cylinders. There's a, a lot of really great stuff happening, especially with Jonah, I thought, this week. And um, just, uh, yeah, this felt more like the show that I came to really like last year as opposed to the premiere, which was a little wobbly. So it was nice to have uh, some, some significant laugh out loud moments. As for community, um, less uh, less successful to me than the, the musical last week. I really liked last week's, this week's, and eh, not so much. Though they are handling the uh, Chevy Chase of it all pretty well, I gotta say. Um, and then Bob's Burgers, uh, I'm sick and I ran out of time. So I saw the beginning of that one and I liked what I saw, but I didn't actually see the rest of it. Am I, am I missing out? Not really. I mean, it was a little better than last week, but still not nothing near top tier Bob's. Um, as far as Parks goes for me, like I, I thought both episodes were pleasant, but I, I kind of feel like the show's running its course. And I don't know if it's just me, but I kind of feel like they've stopped doing new and unexpected things with these characters in these situations. Like, you know, it's been clear ever since... Um, since Anne's uh, since Anne's pregnancy storyline started, that it was going to end with uh, with Chris, and then and that it wasn't going to be, you know, just a test tube baby or anything like that's been telegraphed early and often, and it's going exactly the way we hoped, or not not the way we hoped, exactly the way we figured, and that's just sort of what's happening with that. And just watching it play out is amusing because you know all the actors are are, are amusing, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, there, there's something missing from Parks these days. There, there's a there's a lack of of unpredictability and a, and a lack of a lack of stakes. Also, I'd say when everyone just it just seems to tend to get what they want. Yeah, it really kicked into gear with the election storyline, and and I mean, perhaps even because there there was such stakes to that, and um, and with also also the relationship with Leslie and Ben when that wasn't as decided, there was more. Um, things that could go wrong, I guess. And so when you remove both of those personal and political or, or career um, jeopardies from, from the situation, it is easy, I would say, to, to feel like it's a little safer for the characters. But I still enjoyed it. And um, yeah, it was a lighter week for comedy. I remember last week we had just a ridiculous number of episodes. This week there are only like four to really talk about, four shows. So I imagine we'll have a lot more next week. But in the meanwhile, let's move on to our weekend genre. What do you want? To frighten me, I suppose, hey? Because that's what you do. You hide. You're the bogeyman under the bed, seeking whom you may devour. You want me to be afraid, and well done. I am the doctor, and I am afraid. <laughs> this week had Game of Thrones, and now his watch is ended, which of course the two of us talked about with Ricky on the Sound of Sight Game of Thrones podcast that should already be in your televerse feed. Um, we also had a defiance down in the ground where the dead men go, which I have not gotten to and will once I sleep some more. <laughs> but for, for, for things we did watch, there was vampire diaries, pictures of you, um, doctor who hide and orphan black effects of external conditions. Um, first let's get your thoughts on defiance. Cause you hadn't seen it last week when we talked about the pilot. Honestly, I think I'm on record as being not overly fond of double length pilots in general, unless they're, really really justified or they're or they're you know really really amazing uh or they're justified um literally in which case <laughs> yes more 90 minute episodes please but um yeah i i only got halfway through this to be honest before i just kind of wanted to nod off and then possibly literally did 
it was just so exposition heavy and so uh, it, it they burdened themselves with, I think, establishing too much right away in too familiar a fashion. And you were right in your review last week. The the character types are very familiar. Uh, you know, there's 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 some fun actors attached, and I think there's some potential for that universe. But I'm kind of willing to wait a little bit once they've got the kink sorted out, and then not worry too much about getting all the particulars right away. Just wait to wait to see if people are saying it gets great, and then if it does, then I'll just sort of dive in head first. Fair enough. Um, how about the other show episodes this week? I was underwhelmed in a big way by Vampire Diaries, Pictures of You. I haven't had a chance to get my review up. Um, for that, and I will eventually, but this has gone from a show that was so um, not woman power-y, but, but had such strong female characters and had such a clear point uh, point of view and, and such a clear female voice, and now we get the prom episode and all the girls are swooning over prom and it's the most important thing in the world even though the, literally people are trying to end, end the world at the time. Uh, I can't, I mean, I was so frustrated with that. Honestly, between your like, I, I saw you tweet something about, or uh, or say something somewhere about the fact that it wasn't a very good episode, and then noticed it was called prom, and I thought I can't do this this week. <laughs> uh, there's just there's just no way this will be good, and um, yeah, I I mean prom themed, there there isn't a lot of good prom themed entertainment, and I and I don't trust them to do that well right now anyway. Unless you're watching The Prom, which is a fabulous episode of Buffy, centered completely around her being yes. ridiculous about the prom and everybody else telling her to, to look at things with a little perspective, your, your your teen genre shows tend to not do a great job with their big dances. Um, so yeah, I, I, well done, sir. Good call. <laughs> Let's talk though about uh, about Doctor Who and, and Orphan Black. I hope you watched Doctor Who this week because I actually really liked it. I thought it was really good. I did watch it. It was all right. I mean, I, I have a bias, though, which is that I think ghosts are dumb. And I know <laughs> it wasn't actually a ghost story, and I figured that it wouldn't be. But I I, I don't know. I find the whole ghost story template just to be um, a, a creaky at the best of times uh, and unscary all the time. And I didn't really buy the notion that the doctor was scared. Uh, I think that the, the, the a lot of like a, a large chunk of the episode hinges on that. And I didn't really get it. Uh, was that just me? Um, yeah, I think I think Matt Smith really sold that in his performance. And and also, I don't think he's afraid of the the monster, as it were. I think he's more afraid of being stuck in the pocket universe that's about to disappear. Um, but uh, I you know I, I see where you're coming from. I enjoy ghost stories. I don't you know ghosts. I don't think ghosts are real or anything, but I do. I did find this very effective, and um, I really like the performances from the guest cast. They kept the guest cast really small, which I think was a, a good counterpoint to something like Rings of uh, Akaten. And and more than that, I just thought the cinematography was gorgeous. The the old house and the uh, the stuff shot in the woods. It's you know a little bit of mist in and the right kind of you know woods at the right time of day can be really effective. And so I, I just thought it looked gorgeous, and I really liked the the character beats with Clara as well. The I I do wish they hadn't spent quite as much time on the uh, potential romance of two characters we're never going to see again, mm-hmm. um, and you know trying to get us emotionally invested in that because I really didn't care as much as it was. Hey, it's Jenny from Cold Midwife. I I do agree it was the best looking episode of the season so far, and possibly the entire season. It was a really 
there was a great use of their budget and good set set and production design. But yeah, I don't know. I just I I was supposed to be freaked out, and it didn't really happen. So I guess once again, the, uh, on a basic level, I don't think they did their jobs. But also, as you know, I have different thresholds for these things. <laughs> the last thing I'll mention about Doctor Who is that I, because I haven't really seen other people mention this, and I I feel like it deserves a mention. I really liked the scene between the uh, the veteran and and the Doctor. And it was reminiscent to me of the brief scene we got, the only really good scene we got in the end of time between Wilf and the 10th Doctor, um, where you have these two old battle-scarred veterans talking. Um, and in this case, it, you know, the Doctor's not talking, but I really liked the, the writing of that scene. I thought it very clearly captured what the Doctor's experience, experiencing, especially in relation to, to Clara. But without being as on the nose as a scene like that really should be and has been in the past. I thought the, the performance from Doug Scott or Doug Scott as the, the veteran was, um, was very precise and worked very well in that scene. And I wanted to give that a little love because, you know, when they get their characterization right, I feel like I should point it out, not just when it doesn't make any sense. So, right. yeah. Let's move on to Orphan Black, though. Um, we have more with the Angry Angel this week. Is it just me, or is Orphan Black more serialized than anything else on TV right now? Like, it's it's just, it's literally like, let's pick up where we left off last week, every week. <laughs> and there's, it, it almost feels like characters never sleep. It just It's just a, a constant story that never stops happening. Um, almost like it's a video game you're picking up and then putting down for a week. Uh, and I mean that in a good way. Uh, so, and in that sense, I'm having a, I have a really hard time distinguishing episodes of the show in my brain. Like I, I think of a set of events or a set of character beats, but I don't necessarily think of them in discrete episode terms, uh, which is kind of interesting. But I think what is clear is that I, every week I'm more and more impressed with Tatiana Maslany, who I liked from the beginning, but the more she gets to do and the more characters she gets to play, playing other characters, uh, the more fun it is to watch. It was so much fun to watch her play someone trying to do two different people trying to do um, Beth's accent, uh, which I thought was hilarious. So you have two two different people. Uh, the one trying to do sorry Sarah's accent, Allison trying to pretend to be um, uh, Sarah, and then the blonde crazy chick trying to be um, yeah. Sarah being Beth. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and just listening to her accent work in those two scenes is just fantastic. I thought, um, so I, you know, yes, she continues to impress more and more every week, and I really feel like I'm watching a completely different character. And I like that they haven't um, dropped really any of of the characters. The one went back to Minnesota, but she's still you know a presence on the show, and I think that's nice. Um, and uh, of course, we, I still love love Fee, and you know they're I think they're handling the daughter situation pretty well. Um, and uh, I have a sense of where they're going. I mean, it's not just me, right? Uh, Sarah's the real one, right? Because she's the only going to be the only one who has a biological child. Uh, it's entirely possible. But um, you know what I'm really hoping that they do is I'm hoping they have Art figure things out soon. Yeah. Because I would really like to have uh, another character in on it and sort of having to deal with it. Because as, as, as much fun as the sequences of her trying to figure out how to be Beth convincingly are and how stressful they are to watch, uh, I think having Art in on it would make for a, even more interesting possibilities. And, and I feel like 
if they drag that on too long, it's just going to make them look like an idiot. Well, yeah, and I think they're at the precipice of that. And I think they know it, too. Um, and, and, and I think that we have enough of a sense of art through Sarah getting to know him as Beth that we can now trust him or feel like we can trust him. And that's that's significant, I think. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention this week was uh, just, and, and it's similar to the performance from Maslani, but the the makeup and and wigs and everything on this show are really pretty great. Each of these characters, each of these versions of her, feel completely seamless. Yeah, definitely. Um, and although I did find it a little bit odd that, like the the one bit of the episode that did string credibility for me was uh, it was avenging Angel or angry Angel. Uh, Sarah, whatever you want to call her, um, <laughs> managing to get back into the police station right after she'd left, looking basically completely different, uh, at least in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. that she was completely messed up and no one really noticing. That was a little odd. Yeah, but the um, the payoff was good enough for me. Uh, I was I, I was a little disappointed that Sarah didn't figure it out immediately i felt like she, as soon as raj said oh you look much better she should have known exactly what happened but um she's still new to this so maybe that's going to come later yeah she's still new to having a whole bunch of other versions of herself floating around <laughs> but uh it sounds to me like for you this is definitely orphan black's week in the the uh genre uh if we're not counting game of thrones then yeah if we are counting game of thrones it's kind of a toss-up i think still Okay. Um, I would give it to Doctor Who just because I did really like that episode. Um, I think Orphan Black probably is um, – it's it's in a much better place as a season so far. Um, but it was just so wonderful to actually enjoy and, like, fully engage with an episode of Doctor Who because it's been quite a while for me for that. And I love that show so much. So I'm giving it to Doctor Who this week, and uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. Next up, we're going to talk, uh, however briefly, the, the week in reality. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. It's not warm when she's away. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. She's always gone too long. Anytime she goes away. Under this time where she's gone. Wonder if she's gone to stay. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And this house, it ain't no home. Anytime she goes That was one of the performances from the Battle Rounds this week on The Voice, which continue to be a lot of fun. They'll be finishing up those this week. I think it was really smart to to cut down the team size a little bit and to just power through the Battle Rounds in two weeks, the knockouts in a a week or two, and to to get to the live shows. They they seem like they have really started, you know, learning from the previous seasons on The Voice. One of the big things that's improved on on this season is the – the, the song choice and the pairings for, for the battles have been much better. These have been some really damn entertaining battles. So it's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to miss them. I'm going to miss that duet aspect to the show, but it must, uh, you know, it needs to keep chugging along and in, in improving its pace. Um, so yeah, I, I'll miss it, but I won't, I guess. Uh, did you get to watch the amazing race this week? I did. The, um, I, I, I'm, I'm really worried now that Joey and Megan are going to win, which 
uh, I guess I would have been more worried about that a few weeks ago when I cared more, but I think what is clear is that I cannot remember a dumber set of teams on this show ever. Yeah, when they're all struggling with JFK and Reagan and, uh, you know, the various trivia that are really, really easy, uh, that was, yeah, a bit of a slap the head moment for me. Because um, you, you mentioned something like that to me, and I I uh, I didn't realize just how boneheaded some of these were going to be. Yeah, like, I'm Canadian, guys, and I've, if you'd asked me this stuff when I was in junior high i would have i would have not hesitated yeah um i I continue to be more frustrated than anything by the catch-ups you know within the first few minutes of this week's episode we have yet another catch-up um but it seems like that's just part of the construction of this season and hopefully they won't do that next season um yeah i don't can't even decide who i want to win at this point i kind of just want it to be over (laughs) uh yeah um, yeah, I'd like to just move on and get to more interesting people. Like, there's, I'm not really rooting for anyone, and and I think it's unfortunate that the only team that was rootable for is long gone. Rootforable? I think I think Pam and Winnie were pretty rootforable, especially in this group. But yeah, I, it's it's been a disappointing season. Though that should not take anything away from Mario, who continues to be killing it in the pool. I have to start thinking of what the prize is going to be. Oh, do you have some ideas? No. <laughs> so I, that's why I need to start thinking. But we'll come up with something. Dig out your subway coupons. <laughs> in the meanwhile, though, let's uh, move on to our weekend drama. So you, uh, you're all good now, huh? I mean, you always were a tough son of a bitch. Yeah. I take some credit for that. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm fine. I gotta ask. Some of the boys and I were talking. Why the hell did you give up your guns? I mean, after that up thing back in the '60s and all the hoopla there was about that. I mean, if I taught you anything, is you don't give up your guns. Come on, man. Hey, I'm just talking here. There's no need to leak, John. Johnny, come on. We had a bunch of different shows this week uh, that are very memorable dramas. I guess uh, just kind of listing them off. We had the Southland season or series finale, Reckoning, The Americans, Covert War, Hannibal Potage, uh, Good Wife, A More Perfect Union, Mad Men to Have and to Hold, and the pilot for Rectify on Sundance. Always there. Uh, actually, it was two episodes. I don't have the title of the second one uh, uh, the with The second me. one is called um, Sexual Peeling. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you uh what did you think this week in drama what what which were the ones that were less interesting let's start there uh well hannibal wasn't very interesting because i just realized i didn't watch it uh so yeah that 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 clearly wasn't very interesting um the less interesting ones i don't know i thought it was actually a a, a pretty pretty interesting week overall i didn't think it was uh, a highlight reel week for the americans uh, but i did think it had some some good stuff I think the low point of the episode was that as much as they tried to do it with flashbacks, I still didn't really buy Elizabeth's sheer bloodthirstiness. Like, it it seemed a little like it needed a bit more shading than that. And um, although I I, I did think there were were a a whole lot of really good scenes in the episode, uh, including especially the stuff with Stan and his wife, uh, played by Susan Misner who I can now get why she was upgraded to series regular for next year, because she's great. Yeah, I was far more engaged with 
um, her storyline and her scenes, especially with Elizabeth, than with the, anything with the flashbacks. I don't think they sold that relationship. I think they actually sold that relationship more effectively in the pilot with one scene and a couple throwaway lines um, than they did in this past episode. So I was actually a little disappointed with it. I liked the um, the little bit we get with uh, with Granny this week, Claudia, that is. And I got to say, as much as, as I heart Elizabeth and Carrie Russell, of those two, there's no way Elizabeth is winning. If there's a battle of wills, that that's going to go to Margaret Martindale. Yeah, yeah. Now, if it's a battle of fists... Yeah. I think we already know what happened. <laughs> As for Hannibal, I thought it was actually a really strong episode. Um, I'm ho- I hope that they put the fourth episode up online. They're going to be skipping over the fourth episode due to its bomb kind of storyline, which is Whoops. not uh, a good, you know, a very unfortunate timing. Um, so next week they'll just air the fifth and continue on from there. Um, so I'm hoping that they put the individual, the in-between episode up online. I really like what they're doing. I continue to be impressed with the, the, the pacing in this, in this show, the way that they, you know, they haven't really even introduced a new serial killer at this point, um, which I think is smart. And yet it still kind of feels like a procedural which is an interesting balancing act. The performances continue to be very strong, and uh, and have and Dancy, you know, is, has been really um, very very successful in that in that central role of Will Graham and Carolyn uh, Davernis got a little more to do this week, so that was nice too. So that's, I that's I'm good. still really liking Hannibal. I, I as I said, I didn't watch Hannibal this week, but I did watch Manhunter. Have you seen Manhunter before? I have not. Uh, you should because it's interesting to compare uh, William Peterson in the role compared to Hugh Dancy, and they're obviously very different formulations of the character. But I do find it. But what what's impressive about what Peterson does is that he goes through a similar process to what uh, Hugh Dancy does here, where he um, where he you know he's in a crime scene and he'll he'll map out what happened through empathy. But William Peterson doesn't have the visual aids. So you're literally just watching a guy talk to himself in a room, <laughs> uh, which is arguably harder. So um, anyway, it's it's sort of worth uh, watching. It's it's a great movie on its own, but also for the comparison, it's sort of interesting. Yeah, that'll be definitely one for me to catch up with. Um, let's talk about Good Wife. I thought this was okay or solid, but but not great. And um, I'm actually more excited for what it means for next season really than than anything in this episode i thought the most of the scenes with the aides were not particularly well scripted or performed or even edited together are you telling me that you get however many hours you know like it was it felt very clunky i i guess i didn't really have a problem with it because i I mean i was just blown away at how cynical an episode it was i mean i'm not saying it was the greatest good wife ever and it's not even as good as the last couple we've gotten but it's always nice to remember just how different uh the the good wife handles uh these issues and um and its characters and i i totally agree with you that um it, it like i it seems like at this point we have to get this other firm happening like there's no turning back now without it feeling like a huge cop out and if that happens, I think I think that's I think it's the right move for them and for these ca- and for the and to keep the show interesting. Uh, but you know, this season does have the same problem as, from what I remember, the uh, the same problem as every other season, where when it gets to the end of a season, they feel the need to come back to Alicia and her love life in a more explicit way because it they 
it, the showrunners seem to feel that that's the most important, like that's ultimately the mo the most important question at the heart of the show, and so we need to refocus on that even when it feels inorganic. And uh, of course, we get that here with uh, which, and it hasn't. It, I don't think it was as bad as some of the stuff we've gotten in other seasons, but. I guess I I think everyone is more interested in in firm in the firm politics than with you know which man will she choose because they I don't know it, you said something on Twitter about that or no actually you said to me earlier that uh, you weren't sure they've done a great job of dramatizing uh, how Alicia feels about these men I don't think they they necessarily have to because you know she's allowed to be to have ambiguous feelings or to be undecided but then to make it the crux of the end of each season, I think is a problem. I think there's a bit of a problem in that, in that characterization of, you know, how she feels with, about these men, what her relationship is with them in that. I have no idea how she feels about Will and, and Peter and specifically Peter. I feel like her, the, the last couple episodes have really played up that she's still very attracted to, to Will but that came out of nowhere. And so I felt like, you know, that was just sort of out of the blue um, and hasn't been really handled. And at this point, I feel like we should know Alicia well enough to know while it may be very conflicted feelings, we should have some sense of how she feels about Peter. And I don't think we do. And I, I mean, I think that the, the, the scripting for her, I mean, it's, it would be, it would be fine if, if there, if we had really a reason to feel one way or the other, or if we knew, you know, she seems like she's on the Peter bandwagon right now, but we don't have, you know, really any explanation or any thought process for her. We don't see her thinking about it. We don't see, we just see, I need to think about it. And then yes, I will renew our vows. And um, I guess I wanted something in between or just something within these other episodes. Yeah, I think that that's fair, and and the reason that that we haven't seen that is because the show has so many other things that it wants to do, and most of those other things, frankly, I think are more interesting. Yeah, it's true. But I don't think we can complain too much about an episode where we got Mammy Gummer back, and uh, your your buddy Fran Kranz is in there too. <laughs> Fran Kranz, yeah, it was um, it was great to see both of them. I enjoyed. I kept thinking that guy's a pro. I will duck behind this boulder. Uh, with the judge, uh, which is pretty hilarious. I think the mo the biggest thing for this episode, what I am most excited about is that, yes, like you said, it feels like she's going to have to leave with this other firm and Kalinda will as well. And that will be really interesting for, for next season. But I think what the most interesting thing about it is that it will allow her to grow in a different way. So much of this show has been the progression of Alicia from um, innocence or naivete to to some level of corruption of her soul really if you're looking at where she starts and then when she's defending drug dealers and killers and and all of this she's gotten a lot harder and it's been a fascinating thing to watch but I think this will give them an opportunity to backpedal from that and to let her be more compassionate and um, I, I'm really interested to see you know what new avenues this will open up yeah and I think that the one thing I think we can agree the episode did really well was it really demonstrated just how far Lockhart Gardner has fallen in terms of just the atmosphere and just yeah. how toxic it is. Like just spending the hour in that place just wasn't pleasant and it shouldn't be pleasant. And it's, it's just, it's such a ruthless environment. And so at this point, if we don't get that change, we're I think that's the main reason we're going to be disappointed because I think they've, they've done such a great job 
just showing off how toxic it is. Definitely. Well, and speaking of toxic, let's talk about Mad Men to have and to hold. Right. Uh, toxic is a good word for this one. It's funny. There seems to be a, have been a bit of, uh, I could be imagining things, but there seems to have been a bit of a sea change on Mad Men where, um, and I don't know if it's just a couple people I know saying this or if it's actually the wider dialogue, but it seems like people have uh, suddenly realized that the people on this show aren't very nice people. Which, <laughs> okay, um, I think we've known that from the beginning, uh, but I do think it is, uh, it's interesting that this, I think this episode does feature particularly pointed depictions of characters we've known for a long time being particularly bastardly, uh, the main examples being, of course, Don and Harry, who frankly has always been horrible. Well, there, he he toyed with um, not being horrible early on and then just steered into the skid, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I would agree. And um, it's been interesting to hear that dialogue about the show, if, if only because that's exactly how I felt about the premiere. And um, that's why I wasn't very excited to have the show back as as fantastic a show as it is, as well made, executed, uh, written and, and, and directed and, act, you know, everything. It's a very well-made show i don't care about most of these people um and the people i do care about have been the ones to get the least amount of screen time and thankfully that changes this week because i really like what we get with joan i think it's really interesting and it's, it's i've been missing her on the show if, if this could somehow turn into the, the stan and joan and uh peggy but you know not she like comes back from being you know, the, you know, what we see like her getting harder and um, more ruthless. If she can come back to where she was at the beginning of the season and we can just focus on those two characters a little more, I think I might like it a little bit more. Well, I really liked the stuff we got with Don, who, uh, Don, sorry, the uh, secretary Don, not Don. Yes. Uh, oh, God, that's going to get confusing. Um, the, mm -hmm. uh, like, as far as I can remember, this is the first time we've ever followed her around. Yeah, it feels like, if, if not the first, then one of the very few. Yeah, and I really liked that stuff. I thought, um, especially her last scene with Joan was pretty much just what I wanted out of the end of that storyline. I agree the Joan stuff in general was great. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering how, I'm just wondering how quickly they're going to just let everything unravel. Because it feels like... I, I think I said last week that this is, this is going to be the season where that happens. I mean, we've already seen that happen with Pete and I'm sort of hoping that they have Megan rising up and realizing what's going on sooner rather than later. Uh, because I don't see the need to draw that out too much longer. I like, I don't think there's too much more they can really wring out of Don is being adulterous. She isn't, he doesn't really if he he he, know, he knows that it's wrong, but doesn't care, or or uh, you know places doesn't himself care in enough to stop, Do, or doesn't care enough to stop, and and manages to um to rationalize it in, in some strange way in his mind. Like like they've shown that effectively. I don't think there's anything really new they can do with it anymore. So I think they need to they need to move to the next thing, of which I think should be. Uh, I don't think it should just be her having an affair and then them having their separate affairs and us watching that for a while. I would prefer it was just her finding out and then utter cataclysm. Yeah, I want him. I want her to dump his ass. <laughs> really, is where I'm at with it. And um, 
I don't know. We'll see. I hope that the, that this is very intentional arcing and that um, we're going to be surprised with something in the next few episodes that will make it a little more interesting for me. But yeah, it's at a certain point, entropy stops being interesting uh, for me. So that's kind of where I'm at with Mad Men right now. Fair enough. Uh, I, I did very much enjoy uh, Stan's flipping the bird. Uh, I, you know, we, we haven't gotten, you know, the one guy who we need to spend more time with though is Ginsburg because I love that dude. And even, even if I'm not crazy about his mustache. <laughs> yeah. I could spend more time with him. Let's talk a little bit about the Southland finale though. Cause Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. They went there with that. Uh, which I don't know. As soon as in the midway point of the episode, when, uh, Cudlitz is having that conversation with his ex-wife, and she basically tells him no to a kid in the most blunt, horrible fashion possible. That, to me, signaled that he was a goner in the episode, which I know he doesn't literally, we don't have um, a heart monitor strapped to him so we can hear him flatline or anything. But in my brain, he's pretty much dead. And I figured that was the way they were going with him uh, as soon as we got that scene. I don't know about you. I didn't expect that at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was a good payoff of of the earlier mentions of the generator and 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 all of that. But I was um, no, I wasn't anticipating that, though. It was it was well played. I don't know. That seems a little. It seems a little easy to me. It's a lot harder to to have your character lose everything and have to keep going than to lose everything and just die. So, well, I, don't know. I mean, there's losing everything and then there's losing everything and losing everything and losing everything and then losing everything again. Like there's only so much a person can take, you know. Before and you get shot down by the cops? Before you before you decide to do suicide by I mean, I it didn't feel like it wasn't, uh, it clearly wasn't excessively premeditated. You know, he just kind of snapped. And, you know, and, and I think after someone's been through, I mean, if you think of everything that he's been through, it's not just, you know, this last incident. There's a whole bunch of other things as well. And I think it's a perfectly, I don't think it's, I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, life is hard, go commit suicide by cop. I'm just saying that I it, it didn't feel out of character to me or, or unreasonable. See, I don't think he was committing suicide by cop at all. Um, I think he snapped and if he didn't kill that guy, he would have cause you know, but I don't think he was intentionally or even subconsciously like, I'll hold on to this gun. So then they will shoot me. You know, I don't think that was, that was there. Really? Okay. That's interesting. I had, that's that we have such different read of that. So you thought he was very intentionally trying to kill himself. Um, well, I don't like I said. I, I, I it didn't. I don't think it was. I think in the moment he knew enough to know about where he was positioned. And I mean, he's a cop. He like he may have, he may have snapped, but he's still a cop, and he he knows how they'll behave, and he has to know that's going to be the response. He can't not know that, no matter how whacked out he is. See, I just think he didn't even register that he was holding a gun at well, that there point. You go. So interesting. Interesting. How but, about the rest of the episode? Uh, I, the rest of the episode, I mean, was definitely not going to be as intense. Um, I didn't really like the stuff with, um, uh, is it Ben? Um, mm -hmm. Ben, uh, Ben's ex, 
freaking out at him, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I didn't really need another scene of that. Um, like, we know that he screwed up and and that it's not going well, but I, I, I didn't really need to see that character go that direction. Um, the uh, the last scene between him and, and his partner was fantastic, though, I thought. Yeah, definitely. That was the inter- more interesting part of that storyline. Uh, I think they really overestimated how interested we were in, in that character's love life. Yeah. How about Lydia? I mean, they had to give someone a happy ending, didn't they? I guess. I mean, given all the all, all the horribleness, uh, those scenes were really nice, and I don't think they need they really needed to be a whole lot else because we've seen so much. Uh, like, I wouldn't say a an, a necessarily unrealistic amount of awfulness or disproportionate level of awfulness uh, compared to reality, but uh, I think we needed something that ended with uh with at least the possibility of of hope and and renewal. And I think she, I think that was a good place to put it because it wasn't really going to come. I think to have it come out of, uh, of with, uh, with Cudless's character, I don't know if that would have rung true. Yeah. I, the other thing I'll mention is that I thought the last scene with McGraney and Cudless was just perfect and, um, very in keeping with the characters and, and so appropriate. Yes. And I, I was actually, cause I, 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 for some reason I didn't see him in the opening credits and I thought there's no way they're going to do this episode without having McGrady come back at least once. Right. And then he did. And I was very happy. And I, I think that his, his reaction to, uh, to McGrady's questioning was, was yeah, absolutely perfectly in character. And yeah, I'd be curious to get other people's thoughts on that last scene because clearly we have, uh, <laughs> philosophical differences here yeah i wonder how much that ties into my ge- generic uh general optimism and your general uh, your general pessimism hmm. hey it's not pessimism it's realism man sure optimism and realism that's yeah let us know what you think it's one of those things where um especially if this is a series finale which it looks like it probably is it was a solid episode it was interesting there were you know things that worked first things that didn't but i think it just kind of shows how hard it is to do a really great finale and um just makes things like yes we're going to talk about later the the finale to spartacus last week just all the more uh astonishing of an accomplishment this definitely doesn't feel like it was conceived as a series finale mm. it feels like it was conceived as a season finale but not a series finale they don't kill cudless if the show's coming back there's no way so if you think he's died, you know, he died, then there's no way that that wasn't intended to be a finale. In my I don't opinion. know. It just, it something about the way, I don't know, it, it was just, maybe it was just that it was too painful and we're not really used to endings like that uh, on television all that often. Like okay. usually if, if they're this negative, then they're not directed at characters we actually like. <laughs> It's true. It's true. It's very interesting. And certainly Southland is a show I look forward to going back and catching more of um, from the seasons that I that I missed. And thank you for suggesting that we watch it this season and cover it on, on the podcast. Hey, hey. Um, let's talk about our last drama, though, the pilot to first two episodes that is to Rectify, uh, which is a miniseries on Sundance Channel. And you didn't know that it was from Ray McKinnon. That was what first piqued my interest about it several uh, actually a couple months ago. Well, if he was starring in it, I probably would have figured that out, but he's not. Um, the First of all, I'm actually not sure it's a miniseries. I think it's actually just a short series, because everywhere I've seen uh, references this as the first season. Mm. So uh, as far as I know, it's just a six or seven episode uh, season, and it may continue, which is interesting. Um, I thought it was a, a really solid 90-odd uh, minutes of, uh, of, of drama. I like 
there's actually very little I, I dislike about it. I, I will say that the characterization of the, the Ted character is maybe a little bit too broadly. Uh, and actually, I would say that the the antagonists in general are too clearly antagonists. For um, You mean Teddy, right? Ted Jr.? Yeah, sorry, Ted Jr. Um, I think that he and the um, and the sheriff and the uh, is it the DA? Um, I the, don't. Uh, we haven't seen her yet. I don't. No, think. sorry, not not her. But who's uh, the sheriff's cohort? Oh, well, he's the he was the DA of the original right, prosecution. The, he's the, the senator. The right, the senator, former DA. I think they're just they're a little bit too obviously antagonistic in nature and don't really have any redeeming qualities at all that we can see. Uh, which is, which is you know, it's fine for like most things, but I think in a for a show that's going for more psychological verisimilitude, I think it's maybe a little bit too broad. But you know they, that they've got time to to add some shading there. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how clearly they're they're pointing out the the case against our main character, who we're of course immediately going to be sympathetic towards. Uh, because he's coming out of prison after being you know so either exonerated or at least having enough doubt cast on his his conviction that 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 that, that he's being released I mean, after 20 years and so i think you know having you know, having someone go through the you know he there was an eyewitness that saw him attack her or rape her there was uh he was found next to her body crying and saying i'm sorry like i think it was important to um to show that that information um and I do agree it could have been more nuanced. The Teddy character is just the worst. Um, so I don't know. We'll see what's going to go on with that. I Because of how well all these other characters are drawn, I have a feeling there's more coming there. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on that character. But but yeah, it's really a very interesting and very strong premiere. I, I will say that Clayne Crawford, who plays Ted Jr., does a great job. And especially in the uh, in the scene on the on the golf course when, when he hears of... Uh, of what transpired in prison, just the sheer awkwardness uh, was was really nicely handled. Just the, um, I don't know, that character, the scene was very well done, and I mean, the lead performance is, is really impressive, I think. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to really like about these uh, these two episodes. It's nice to see Evelyn Spencer get um, somewhat of a, a vehicle, because I've enjoyed her for, I mean, I've enjoyed her going back to uh, the episode of of my boys that she was on where she was the the carrie bradshaw stand in in their sex in the city parody but um it's nice to see her get a little bit more meat to work with i was happy to see j smith cameron who i loved in in margaret uh she she plays the the matriarch here and um i'm sure she's gonna get lots of good stuff to do yeah definitely it's a it's a good pilot it's a really you know I can't wait to spend more time with these characters. And considering this is a Monday night show, which makes it very difficult for us to see before we record, uh, that's that's saying something. Because I don't need more Monday shows in my life. No, you really don't. But do I. I. But I'm happy to have this one. So, so which one won this week? What's the the most interesting or your or your favorite of the dramas? Um. Ooh, that's tough. Uh, just just for being a newcomer, I think I'm going to give it to Rectify. Yeah, I think I will as well, um, just because, you know, most of the other ones I had some issue with. I, I was less interested in the Americans this week than I have been in some of the previous episodes. Um, so, yeah, I guess the, the two I enjoyed the most probably just over the across the board were Hannibal and Rectify, and I'll give it to, to Rectify this week, definitely. So, 
yeah, looking forward to what's coming for most of these series in in the next couple of weeks. It should be a nice, you know, final stretch here. Definitely. Yeah. So before we go to our our DVD shelf with Ryan McGee from uh, Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan and the AV Club and Boom Two Dude and everywhere, <laughs> um, a few show notes. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up for this podcast at soundonsite.org, which you know, we would love to get comments for. Let us know what you thought about the Southland finale. Let us know um, what you thought about the week in TV and just how wrong I am for, for being frustrated with Vampire Diaries at this point. We have an MP3 and an M4A feed up in iTunes. Uh, we would love to get some ratings or reviews there. It does help other people find the show. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are at Sucker Howl. And if you would like to email us, you can do that at theteleverse at gmail.com. What should our question be? Uh, you know, uh, uh, we discuss a little bit on the DVD shelf the, um, the, the fact of Spartacus's short episode order. So I'm, I'd be curious to you know which shows people think think have gone on too long and desperately need a mercy killing. Interesting. Good question. And also with the news that it's going to be the last season of Dexter and possibly the last season of Futurama as well coming up. Yeah. Good, 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 good point. Good question. So let us know. Um, and now we're going to take a quick break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Ryan McGee to talk Spartacus. You are destined for great and unfortunate things. The shadow of Rome is vast, and you will yet die under it to the roar of the crowd. Why are you here? Because I trusted in the honor of a Roman. You have a woman. Taken from me when I was captured. I see things in men that they themselves have lost. I give it breath until it ignites. How many men would you kill to hold your wife again? I would kill them. Gladiator does not fear death. Gladiator's virtues extend beyond the arena. As lovers, they are said to be ravenous beasts. Make him do it again. I swear to be burned, chained, beaten, or die by the sword. They cheer for blood, and they shall have it. A man must accept his fate or be destroyed by it. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week uh, on the DVD shelf, we are talking Spartacus and are so excited uh, to, to be finally spending some quality time with the show and specifically with the finale that aired about a week ago, week and a half at this point, depending on when you're listening to us. And here to help us with that from the AV Club where he where he wrote about Spartacus, uh, for I think most of the run of the show, as well as, of course, his own site, Bluetooth Dude. It's Ryan McGee. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So Spartacus, I know obviously this is a show that you reviewed week to week, uh, even longer than Simon and I. We we've been reviewing this past season on the podcast, but um, but it took we catched up with it a, l- a little later. Uh, we talked last week on the podcast about how we loved this finale and how it felt like such an appropriate and fitting way to send off the show. Uh, give us your thoughts about the series, like generically as a whole, and um, specifically the finale. 
Sure. Um, Spartacus is a show that I came into late like you, although not maybe not quite as late. I uh, caught up with the show on uh, Netflix after season one at the behest of my my podcast partner, uh, Maureen Ryan, uh, over at uh, Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan. And she was talking about this show, and I was like, I saw the pilot. There's no way you're talking about the same show, right? And she's like, no, no, trust me. It's on Netflix. Just, you know, just, just catch up with it. I think you'll like it. And I actually watched the entire series, I think, in about 30 hours, the first season. And there was an increasingly uh, increasingly bizarre series of emails to her where, like, grammar started to go out. Um, I started to talk like the characters. And then it was just a bunch of exclamation points and swearing because I was so into what I was seeing. Uh, and around that time, uh, Gods of the Arena was kicking in, and that was actually my first gig at the AV Club was writing about Gods of the arena carrying through to vengeance as well as war of the damned um finale itself really uh, quickly there i loved it uh absolutely perfect ending to that show which was that you know that as i interviewed uh steven tonight shortly before the series ended after i had seen the finale and he comes from the joss whedon school he wrote on buffy he wrote an angel wrote on dollhouse studied under him and anybody who watches a Joss Whedon show, you, yourselves included, know that that's just a house of pain. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Joss's big mantra used to be, give them what they need, not what they want. And But the finale did a great job of continually teasing you with the idea that maybe, just maybe, you were going to get what you wanted. Uh, there were these threads of hope. Just the just maybe they might actually come alive. Just maybe he pulls an inglorious bastard's. But no, at the end, he stayed historically true while being, you know, dr dramatically creative. And that was the show. That was the ending that show needed. And I loved it. Yeah, it was such a, you know, it's something that Simon and I both agreed on uh, when we were talking about this the, the previous time. Any of the issues that I had with the finale, and there were very few, had to do not with the finale, but with the the preparation for it. So the lead up to it. So if some of the character relationships didn't really work as well as they maybe yeah. should have in the finale, it's not because of that hour of television. It's like you said, it's something we all know what was going to happen because of history. And we've been talking on the podcast about, oh, are they going to pull in Inglorious Bastards? I could see it working with the show. I could see, you know, them pulling it off. And and they do. You're absolutely right. They do leave that option open for a while. They toy with you. They they get you to think maybe, and then they don't. But they do. You know the the way that the end is so perfect for each of the characters, and it, and it manages to to be depressing and horrible and sad and you know, but at the same time so glorious and such a perfect way to end for each of these characters. Even Gannicus with the who has the crappiest ending up there on the cross. They yeah. find a way to make it triumphant and. It just this is a show that I mean, and Simon, I promise I'll throw to you in the moment here. This is a show that I actually really enjoyed, including the pilot. So I look forward to talking about that with the two of you because I think you guys are more on the same page with that. I thought it actually had a good pilot, and um, and so to to watch its progression and to see the culmination of all that in this what is you know really strong finale, uh, it was just an absolute blast uh, for me. Simon, I'll let you talk a little bit here. <laughs> Well, most of what I had to say, I actually said in, uh, I wrote a, a thing about Spartacus before, ahead of the finale, sort of the the headline being uh, deliberately inflammatory, which was why Spartacus is better than your favorite show, and uh, <laughs> nice. which, 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 which I do think is, is generally probably true. And, and to toot my own own horn a, a moment, uh, it actually ended up, it, it got to the uh, to the attention of, of Stephen DeKnight and some other Spartacus people who were quite happy with it, so that made me happy. Um, 
but um, anyway, I mean, specifically the finale, I, I think you're right, Kate. It was, and, and and Ryan, I think it was pretty much perfect. The stuff that didn't work, you know, f- for instance, the Sybil stuff, I think they couldn't really have helped much at that point. And as far as the whole um, going, taking a different uh, attack, historically speaking, I think it became pretty clear to me by the halfway point of this season, at least, that they were not going to do that. Um, like they, I think if, if they were going to take the inglorious bastards route, the smart thing to do would have been to, to take a different tack midway through. Kill Caesar. (laughs) Or yeah, exactly. Something like that. And, uh, it went, cause that would have been an amazing, holy shit moment. Uh, I think one for the ages. And when that didn't happen, I thought, okay, if that, if they were going to do that, that's probably how they would have done it. What's great about the show too, is how many holy shit moments did they have anyways? I mean, yeah. this is a, I mean, anytime you have a show where, you know, Spartacus slices a dude's face right off and his brains spill out of where his forehead used to be. <laughs> kind of a holy shit moment altogether. But to your point, Simon, about, you know, and, and this is a show that I've been trying to, maybe through Gods of the Arena and Vengeance, I really tried to champion. I'm like, guys, you don't understand. It's not the show you think it is. By the time I got to War of the Dand, I'm like, screw all y'all. <laughs> this, this show is so good. And in 10 years, when you find it on DVD and you complain on Twitter that no one told you how great this show was, you can't look at me. Uh, and I just, I just, I mean, in terms of, you know, it, I would say to everybody, like, do you like Buffy? Are you okay with nudity? Watch this show. It really is as much the, the true air to sort of what that sort of Whedon-verse type of show really is in terms of the rigorous storytelling, the emotional uh, through lines that it gives all the characters, the way that it makes helps you understand, if not always sympathize, with the antagonists, and still, I mean, every review I wrote, every review, every time I gave it an A or an A minus, there'd be somebody who came in and said, "Wait a second, is this show actually good? And should I be watching?" Every single time, <laughs> people just could not. There was a there was a dissonance between the picture they saw at the top of the review and the words that were said and the comments that were said. I mean, I've got six hundred plus comments on the finale. It's the, the biggest thing I'll write all year. I can't imagine there being anything bigger. People just, once you lock into it, it's all-encompassing, and it's so just perfect. For me, the entry point, I was, I was humming along. I thought it was okay season one. Uh, it was the Crixus Navia stuff that, that, that hinted to me that maybe this isn't the show that I thought it was. Maybe they're from Depth Six. All of a sudden, I, there was this lunkhead guy who I didn't really like in the first couple of episodes was suddenly breaking my heart. And I'm like, oh, God, this show has its sort of hooks in me. And then Bye Bye Varro which probably for me was the moment where there was no going back. I was going to watch every episode of the show until it was over. Uh, Kill Them All, one of the great season finales <laughs> that I can ever remember. And just carrying through. I mean, really, if you think about it with Andy Whitfield's death, the show probably sh- has no right to ha- exist after that moment. And they had a lot to, uh, to think about. And Gods of the Arena was basically a stalling tactic in some ways. And yet, without those episodes... The series takes a, a much different turn, and I'm not sure necessarily a better turn. Uh, and then you got the new Spartacus, the new Navia, all the stuff the show had to do. I love, and I wrote this in my review, you know, like Gannicus asked Spartacus, what would you have me do? And Spartacus says the impossible. That's what the show did, I feel like, over its three and a half, you want to call it four seasons. Uh, and at this point, like I said, if you, I, I stopped um, proselytizing about the show. I just let the people who knew it was really great, and we sat around and we talked about it for a while. And I do think this is a show that people are going to discover and share for the next 10, 20 years. It's only going to grow in stature. 
Definitely. And it's, <laughs> we talked about it last week. I watched the finale uh, at, at a gig and I, nobody around me, because at least when I'm at home, I have internet and I can, you know, you know, drop a line on Twitter and talk to people there, talk to Simon or anybody who's seen it. But I was surrounded by an orchestra full of people who had never even heard of the show and it was killing me. More people need to have seen this. And you're right. I really think it's a show that will live on very well in DVD uh, as, as the years go on i think it's gonna the because of the realities of the production and you know the, having such a tiny budget and that forcing them to do the green screen and to create this really stylized effect to a lot of their visuals especially early on that's going to uh that's going to be a stylistic choice moving forward as some other shows with you know cg and things don't age as well this show will you know still have a valid place with its you know less quality CG as we get, you know, the technology progresses because it's a choice and because they made it very artistic. And I don't know, I just, I look forward to, like you say, Ryan, people come at me later and be like, nobody ever told me about Spartacus. And just, I'll pull up Twitter or go, go to like, like Simon's fabulous article that he put up. We tried and you just didn't listen. Yeah. Well, and, and just imagine, just put yourself in, in Stephen tonight's shoes when they got the news of Andy Whitfield's, um, of his diagnosis and then later his his uh, his death imagine any other showrunner being in that position imagine if that had happened to uh brian cranston or john ham or i mean th- th- you may have some difficulty with that comparison but still just it, try to imagine if that had happened and how how they would be scrambling in that situation and to see how they not only recovered but actually got better i would say um is just remarkable and the, the whole gods of the arena you know, miniseries, if you want to call it that, or half season, should have been a disaster. Should have been an unmitigated uh, Hail Mary clusterfuck, basically. But it actually turned out to be, uh, like you said, Ryan, it really deepened the show's universe and I think made it possible for them to do better things. Well, and we were talking about uh, Gods of the Arena. I was thinking about this earlier today. Can either of you think of another good prequel? mean besides the Phantom Menace? <laughs> well, clue that's you know, the exception. I kid, I kid. No, I, I, I do not like prequels. I don't like, and I don't like the type of storytelling where we know where the end point is. So basically, by that logic, I should have hated Spartacus. But even within that sort of you know historical context, the idea that if you're watching Gods of the Arena, well, you know, Badianus isn't going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, Lucretia isn't going to die. You know, Salonius isn't going to die. So what? And we know certain people have to end up in certain points. Um, by introducing somebody like Gannicus, with whom we had absolutely no preconceived notions or storyline, that was a great way to put it. And also to take, you know, the story of Animaeus's wife, put it all in there. And that fifth episode of that Gods of the Arena is, is as good as TV gets, period. The end. It's a fantastic sort of thing. But without that context, you just can't do it really in a flashback in the middle of Vengeance. If Gannicus just showed up in, the, in uh, Libertus, the fifth episode of, uh, of, of Vengeance... It doesn't have the same impact because so much of what makes television great is the sheer amount of time you get to spend with any particular character. And if you, and the more you can, the more you can uh, you can get into what their journeys are all about. So in that case, you know, Gods of the Arena, you're right, Simon, should have been a disaster, ended up somehow deepening the entire process. Well, and just on a purely simple, you know, level, it let us have so much more fun with John Hanna and Lucy Lawless. I mean, 
those characters are just delicious. And to to watch what, especially Lucy Lawless, because I think she's probably the actor who gets the biggest arc and the most, she, at least she, she, you know, you know, like how for the Oscars, most of the awards, especially in the production field, go to most editing or most costume design. She, uh, I feel like she has the most acting on the series, but she's so fun to watch. And, and when, when we flash back to Gods of the Arena and she's positively demure, Compared to what we, how we know her, and then to see what she does in Vengeance, I, it's just, you know, I, I will, I'll take more time with those two characters any day of the week. And just little things that threw in, like the red wig uh, that her friend wore in Gods of the Arena. Her name's eluding me right now, but so you look back at, at uh, something like uh, Blood and Sand, and you look at all of her costumes, and it suddenly, in retrospect, seems like this homage. Mm-hmm. It's not just costumes, so it does actually add some character stuff to it, and so. But tonight can do the character stuff better than almost, you know, anybody, his writing staff and the way they do it. But to your point about the CG stuff, the fact that they leaned in to their limitations really was the absolute smartest thing that they could have done. If you try to pretend that you've got a $10 million budget and you come up short, it takes you out of the world. But if you do something like this, we're like, not even just a little bit of blood, but a geyser <laughs> of blood. And really, you want your 3D glasses so we can get over the popcorn they're eating while you're watching. I mean, that that goes a long way. It's, it's, you know, it lets the audience uh, actually lose themselves in the action rather than take them out. It's a, it's a counterintuitive way to go about it, but end up being, in some ways, the only thing they could have done. But you know what? Sometimes limitations are good. If you can do anything... Sometimes you're not forced to make the hard choices. And really, Spartacus, at the end of the day, is about people making hard choices all the time, whether it be on screen or off. Well, yeah. I mean, you talk about hard choices and also with the the geysers of blood. Let's talk a little bit about the pilot. Because I got to say, because, of course, I am a big fan of the Ryan and Ryan podcast. I listen to you guys all the time. And I had heard some Spartacus talk. And, and so when I eventually did you know, watch it, also, it's my persistence. I was very surprised because maybe it's because I went in with lowered expectations, but I really actually did enjoy the pilot. I thought it was, you know, the I enjoyed the aesthetic. I thought it was um, the CG and the, just the whole design of this, the show felt very painterly. I loved the 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 use of slow-mo in the, the fight sequences. That reminded me very much of of uh, Greek pottery or Roman, you know, the, the reliefs of the battle se- sequences, especially the angles that they choose and how they position the, everyone. And I bought into the characters almost immediately. So I'm curious, tell me guys, why does the pilot not work as well for you as it does for me? I, I, I think I, I, I kind of agree with you in the sense that I, I do think it's not as bad as some people say it is, but I do think it suffers in comparison to, I mean, I think every aspect of the show was improving all the way through. Uh, for instance, the dialogue is not there yet in that pilot. Uh, the rhythms aren't right, uh, and I think it's cruder than it needs to be, even in comparison to what Spartacus usually does. And um, I feel like nearly every one of those actors, none of them is quite there yet either. Uh, very few of them sort of get it right right off the bat. And I, th- I think that's also true of, uh, of Liam McIntyre, and I feel like by the time he's done 20 episodes or 22 episodes or whatever it is, he's great, and so is most of the rest of the cast. But I feel like right off the bat, it's just a little bit shaky all around. Yeah, and I would also say there's a lot of world building and heavy lifting and exposition that has to go on in that pilot. And that's most pilots. So you really can't fault Spartacus in and of itself for that. But there are ways to be immersive uh, that the show 
just didn't quite have. Um, it didn't really have a lock on the characters. And also, the characters, the actors, didn't. there's a sense of like, did I really sign up for this? Uh, and 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 they're not they're not quite as you know delving into the the ludicrousness of it as they would later. And you could that's totally me reading things onto the screen. I don't have any background uh, information saying John Hanna was calling his agent desperately trying to get out of the role of Badiatis after the pilot. Um, but that's just a sense there. But by the time you get to um, the fourth episode, there uh, that thing the thing in the pit. From then on in, it literally is an upward trajectory for about 40 episodes. And the fact that it's only 40 episodes is also one of the show's, you know, greatest strengths. And maybe you guys talked about this last week. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to listen yet. But there's something to be said about, again, about the limitations, about whether it be the CG, whether it be the hard choices. Ending the show when it did was a hard but correct choice in terms of the show's overall value. And the way that we're going to view it, you know, a hundred episodes of something is great, but you know what? Out of a hundred episodes, a lot of those are clunkers. And in this show, there's really only two or three that you really can go, yeah, that wasn't that great. The rest are fantastic. And that's almost unheard of in this day and age. Well, it's, it's the correct choice because it honors the contours of the story. Like, I suppose if you're going strictly with history, yes, you could have made it longer. There are conflicts and events you could have, you could have done more with but i'm not sure it would have added to what the show has already shown us with these characters and with its themes i I think that they made the hard choice and the correct one you're right and i think that it was based on what what pace have we set so far is it wise to slow down or is it wiser just to barrel on ahead perhaps even a little bit faster and i think they absolutely made the right call well they're are only it's a 39 episode show there's 40 episodes of story here and in history there is more yeah but for the purposes of television look we're fighting look we're running there's only so many times you can do that (laughs) and so instead of trying to you know like you guys both said instead of trying to fill out another season i mean because look at look at stars right now it's really trying to continue to to build its brand and uh and draw draw in viewers to to you know start taking give people start taking it seriously as an as appointment viewing um ch- network or channel and so more spartacus is only a good thing for them because it's at this point it's got to be the most cr- well received critical you know critically show but thankfully they they didn't try to force more out of the story and denight you know has the vision to to not do that either because i can't imagine spartacus season six season seven that mean even with only 10 episode seasons that just can't work your cock yeah your cock can only rage on for so long let's put it that way (laughs) precisely precisely although when you said that you know you can't make a whole show out of people just running and dying don't you wish someone would would tell that to the walking dead showrunners yes I do. We talk about oh. that every week, don't we? Over on that podcast. But um, yeah. one of the things that I found really interesting watching Spartacus, and it's something we've we've all touched on, is the fact that, yes, the show does improve all the way up. I mean, I think you could have an argument as to whether Crixus's final episode is, uh, I guess I would say the finale is better just because it had a harder job to do. But, I mean, it really does feel like the entire series is leading, in improving quality-wise over the course of that 
whole arc and they absolutely went out on their strongest season strongest character beats strongest performance um it just they're firing on, on all cylinders one of the things that i thought was really interesting going back and watching some of the earlier episodes was i i had a sort of similar feeling as when i watch certain early episodes of Battlestar galactica and somebody has to say frack and you can tell that the writers don't believe it yet. The actors don't believe it yet. And when you t watch a later uh, season or a later episode, there's so much more, you know, there's so much more comfort in, in the world and in the dialogue and in that sort of language. And it's something that I was noticing, especially, you know, in the pilot in the early season one episodes, there's way too many articles and, and people are way too aware that what they're saying is strange. So I was, I was curious, did anybody else make a connection like that? Uh, I, I wouldn't. I didn't make the connection directly to Frack, but I will say that the dialogue, like I said, feels wrong, because because when you go when you're used to, I would say even Gods of the Arena, even even that early, I think that, and I, I explicitly stated this in my article. I I can't think of a show since Deadwood that's had such a just such a distinct use of of rhythm and. Uh, and, and had a you know a very distinct set of uh, of words that people come back to. I mean, it, I don't think it's anywhere near. Like, just to be clear, I don't think it's nearly as well written as Deadwood. Uh, that's a very tough bar to hurdle. But I think that there's been no other show that's used language as distinctively since. Yeah, until we got that Delta Gamma letter that was all over the internet last week, which is pretty great Spartacus writing. You have to admit, <laughs> I'm digressing here. But the language. I do want to point out, because the, the language is, again, part of the aesthetic of the show. It's as much of the aesthetic of the show as the CGI violence, and it just speaks to the nature of the appetites in the show. And that's, an, that's a word I use a lot when I write about the show, is that, you know, these are people who constantly hunger for things and crave things, whether it be power, whether it be love, whether it be sex, whether it be food, that no one does anything by half measures in this show, and that feeds into why it was so great to sort of basically cut to the end of the story. This is the season in which things actually change and shows that go on forever and don't, they give the illusion of change, but really don't. After a while, there are no stakes. You're not invested. You guys mentioned the walking dead. I could bring up Dexter, which is finally going to be ending this particular season. If the audience thinks that nothing is going to change and no one can die and no one can be any serious problems, their investment level just plummets through the floor in Spartacus literally anything could happen at any time and by that token every time there's a fight you think someone might die every time two people are talking you realize the power dynamic could shift on a dime it just makes for more interesting entertaining television period well and even Spartacus could die because as they make clear you know it's something I noticed even more going back to rewatch some of the earlier episodes He's not Spartacus. That's not his name. They come back to that in the pilot in a beautiful moment. But somebody could easily take up that mantle. So watching, you know, the show, obviously you don't expect that, especially as, you know, a TV viewer, you expect your main character is not going to get killed. But there are a few moments watching the series where it's a feasible option for them to take. And I can't think of another show where that's the case. I don't know if you guys talked about this last week. Did you guys see the, fir think of, see the first few seconds of this finale and think you were seeing a flash forward with all uh, the Iron I, Spartacus I, I stuff? I had that thought, yeah. Because I, I thought that was one of the ways they were going to honor it. And I thought it was a great way not only to honor the movie, but just as, as a way to honor what the show's been saying all along. Because really, Spartacus has been looking for somebody to succeed him 
all along, and that person seemed to be Gannicus. So he was sending up the idea, the show was sending up the idea that this guy may not make it through the end of the series. So what type of legacy is that going to be? And apparently it's Agron and Nasir having the most bloody version of Farmville somewhere above the mountains. <laughs> so that's a way to go, I guess. But, I mean, it's something. Yeah, definitely. Well, since we got to Nazir and Agron, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the show's depiction of of sex and in particular its sort of its sort of pansexual aspects of the show, which, you know, reading what Denight had to say about his sci-fi show that hasn't been officially optioned yet, but my god, please let that happen. Um, you know, he, it's very clearly something that he's interested in having in doing all the time, which I just want to you know, some, uh, can we have some slow clapping for that? <laughs> definite, definite <laughs> slow clap. Gratitude. Yeah, I loved listening to to him talk about that in um, his interview with with Mo Ryan, which is obviously Ryan on your your uh, podcast. Yeah, and I, I you know something that I, I I find entertaining my prog- my progression as a TV viewer over the past few years uh, because thanks to uh, Spartacus and before that Deadwood and a few other shows. Um, girls, I think we go in with this. I've gotten to the point where really most nudity is just very normal and most sexy. It's like it's really hard at this point, I think, to shock me with this kind of stuff that is on television. And yet, I found myself very, very pleasantly surprised to see just how thoughtfully and I don't want to say fairly, but just how, just how again, how thoughtfully the the same sex relationships on the show are handled. And unfortunately, that is still such a rare thing, even in in very thoughtful and very um, socially conscious television, to have a couple like like uh, Agron and Nazir is so rare and I love the the approach that that the show takes and tonight specifically takes and I love that that was a priority for him I love that his his thing was you know who's getting a happy Agron and Nazir they're getting the happy ending and he knew that from the beginning of this this past season I wish more film more uh more creative people on television were telling these kinds of stories yeah I mean that gets back to one of the I mean, one of the saddest parts of season one is Barca's death yeah you know, definitely. and the creative that he had there and I think you're right in terms of the even handedness because not only does the show not care the characters on the show don't care and that's a great sort of lead point the fact that spartacus trusted agron above all others and valued him even more than crixus even more than Ganicus, because i i, I spoke to tonight as well he said well yeah i mean he's it's, it, it was fitting for him because agron's like the one guy in the show that didn't try to kill spartacus at some point <laughs> um there was, it, it was not it wasn't a, a it was it wasn't that they didn't care because they equally honored all the relationships in the show and that was the best Thing about it. and it, it was done so well that you just look at other shows and you're like why can't you do this it's not about seeing two chicks make out for titillation factor which is about as far as some people or shows are willing to go but yeah you contrast this with something like modern family and let's get cam and mitchell on this show and see what happens probably <laughs> yeah. probably something a little different um you could make the argument that you know oh that people do oh america's not ready for that well let's give america some credit let's actually show them you know, what's a, essentially, you know, within the world of Spartacus, a very normal, healthy, romantic relationship that has as many faults and uh, lows and highs as any heterosexual relationship on the show. It, it, it's, it's, it's sad that it's we're still at this point in 2013, but if shows like Spartacus can push the envelope, because it's not about just having the sex position on Game of Thrones. That's great. Yay, boobs. But at the same point, let's get, you know, something else 
on the table. There are different levels, you know, just seeing two men or two men, whatever it be, be comfortable and silly and stupid and, you know, beautiful with one another. I don't see how that's hurting anybody, but maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and when you talk about the characters not, you know, batting an eye at, at that it, at those type, you know, relationships, um, there's also just the show, the view of the show, the perspective of the show, because you can have a show like Xena, which we had fun talking about uh, with Karen forever ago on the DVD shelf, um, where, where the characters on the show, you know, there's that clear, you know, subtext of a relationship between Xena and Gabrielle, and they're completely comfortable with that. But the show has, at times, a more, more almost leery view you can see there's some some male gaze coming through in the 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 way that's filmed the way that it's edited and there's none of that here and it's something you know the the exact same approach the exact same lighting and music and uh and just atmosphere is taken to the positive sexual encounters and negative sexual encounters regardless of who is involved yeah and i i think to to take that point a little bit wider in my article, I, I referred to Spartacus as being radically humanist, and I totally I, I stick by that, as pretentious as it sounds. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned, uh, or one of you mentioned, rather, I'm not sure who, um, the fact that we spend so much time with the villains and or the ostensible villains, and the fact that you know we 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 spend as much time with them dealing with their personal issues and sort of and their stance on things, knowing all the while that you know they are absolutely in the wrong. And also, they're going to quote win. Uh, just it adds a dimension to the sh this this moral dimension to the show that is really rare. I, that was one of the things that was most striking to me in going back and watching the the earlier uh, seasons, especially season one. Uh, I felt actually I felt kind of ter as terrible, like I was a terrible person because you see the the thoughtless way that Badiatis and uh, and his wife, whose name escapes me at the moment, Lucretia, uh, Lucretia, uh, incorporate their slaves into their, their sexual play and in their, their games with each other. And because the show is focused on those two characters and is going through their perspective, you're not thinking this is blatant rape. And then yet as the show progresses, you, you get more and more of the slave perspective. And then, so then going back and watching these earlier scenes, I was horrified in a way that I, of course, wasn't the first time because I was so focused on their perspective and their story. And I wasn't paying attention to the non-speaking extras. And I just, the way that the, the writers and the directors both and the performers keep shifting your perspective and your, uh, your point of view, I think is really masterful. Mm -hmm. And I, I think another huge part of that is the fact that the Romans are, are, I, th I would say that the uh, the quality of acting among the among the Romans is maybe slightly higher throughout. I mean, more consistent throughout than with the slaves uh, or the rebels. But uh, I, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to argue that I, I would say John Hanna and or Lucy Lawless probably give the best performances of the whole run. But I really do think that um, Simon Rammels did an incredible job in the final season and it, in that in the finale in particular. And also, I would point to uh, Biva Bianca, who played Olivia, and I'm probably butchering her name because that's what I do on podcasts. I just butcher names, and then I get the cries of the internet telling me what an ass I am. But <laughs> that's how I roll. But, you know, it would be remiss to, like, you know, not bring her up and the way that she played off Lawless and all those scenes. It was almost like a ballet uh, between the pair and the ways in which you could be both sympathetic towards and yet reviled by their actions 
and the way that the show would, would, would mess with your head in that way. I mean, when, you know, Badiad is, is promising Spartacus that he's going to get Sura back to him, that's a con as much on the audience as it is on Spartacus. So and it's great because at the moment that she drops out of that cart and we see sort of the, the faux mustache twirl there, we're in with Spartacus <laughs> that we want to get revenge <laughs> on this particular guy for being, because we've been duped as much as that. We've been seduced by that type of evil. Uh, and that's, again, one of the great things. The show always makes you understand the perspectives of, of the villains there. I wasn't big on Glaber for the first five episodes of Vengeance, I thought, because I'm like, I just want Badiatis back. But by the time he killed Olithia's father and just started standing up for himself, he maybe didn't get quite to the heights of there, but he was a worthy adversary and someone whom I wanted to see punished. By the same time, I understood what transformed him into the person that he was at that point the the best villains are always the ones that think they're the hero of the story and spartacus did that over and over and over again it was great well i I think there was an important shift with crassus though where and i think that's what made him the best possible uh, antagonist for the end of the story is the the way i I think that they did such a great job portraying his respect for Spartacus and his even his admiration, and I, I like the way that it sort of insinuated that because he recognizes Spartacus's humanity on some level or respects him as a foe, in an important sense, he's sort of already acknowledged that they've lost. Even even as he, uh, although I did like the fact that at the end of the series, he's still just as much a you know, a devout proponent of the Roman cause. Clearly, they didn't have him turn a new leaf, which I really appreciated. But still, I I think that the way that they they presented that shift in philosophy on, on, on the part of Rome was really, really smart. It's something that I, you know, we've talked about before, but I enjoy with this show, the, the subtext and the fact that they feel no need to make it text. You know, we talked about this in this, the second to last episode um, where, where at this point, essentially all of our heroes are just exactly like the Romans at the start of the series and, you know, forcing people to fight gladiatorially as opposed to executing them, which would theoretically be more in keeping with their, their, you know, their philosophy and what they say they're fighting for. Uh, Though of course their desire for vengeance and, and blood is completely understandable and completely human. And the, you know, the, the logical thing for them, especially given the, the world that they're in, but but the fact that they never feel the need to to point that out that to to linger with the camera uh, on on a particular shot or expression uh, is just it's just wonderful. It trusts the audience and yeah. Th- there's there's no do you see moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, which we've talked briefly about some of of the characters. We are almost out of time. Which other characters do you guys specifically want to mention? I feel like we have to talk a little bit about Animaeus. You know, that that's one of my absolute favorite performances, and uh, I was I was in I was in hardcore with uh, Gods of the Re- Arena as soon as I realized that Animaeus was going to get more time. Seeing him in the finale was one of my favorite moments of the finale. Very was, unexpected. I, I was going to say the very same thing. Him showing up wordlessly in that mo- just I was. I was not in a good place emotionally when that happened. <laughs> there may have been tears. It was getting a little dusty. <laughs> no, he was great. Uh, let's see here. Varro was one of my favorites when he was around. A guy that I, didn't, again, did not expect to uh, to make me as, as emotional about him a, as he was. 
I was okay. I like Caesar. I know a lot of people were not down with Caesar. I didn't have much of an emotional or historical attachment to this particular character. And once you realized why he looked like Brad Pitt in Troy, um, <laughs> for as long as he did as part of the Sutterfuge, I was fine with that particular character. Um, Tiberius was such a bastard. I uh, love to hate that character. He was kind of like the, the King Joffrey of this particular season. Uh, I'm always good with a, a good line by Lugo. I mean, mm-hmm. just one of those guys in the corner. But what a great send-off for him. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. burning alive, being stabbed by 100 guys, saying, fuck your mothers. Oh. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's, that's a way to go out, um, that's for sure. How about, because uh, I, I think uh, one of the ways in which the show has been very interesting is its gender politics. And yet that being said... Aside from Soxa, I have not connected with many of the rebel women over the course of the show. Is that just me? No, I, I oh, think well, that's... of course, Navia. Sorry, yeah, I was that was say, of course, Navia. But uh, uh, Navia, yeah, uh, Saxa to some degree. I th- th- I do think uh, they botched Sybil. I think they needed either more time or, like you suggested, Kate, a better actress. I'm not sure which. Uh, but I think that was sort of a missed opportunity. I would say the one where they really knocked it out of the park though was Mira. Um, who was sort of Spartacus's tether to humanity uh, in season two and never became the replacement mm-hmm. for, for his wife because he made it clear, I'm, I'm never going to replace my wife. He was clear about that with Leita uh, this year, Leita um, this year. But I thought uh, Katrina Law did a very uh, good job, and gorgeous striking to begin with. Didn't really have much of a role when she was introduced in Blood and Sand, but really uh, raised her, her game. And the show could therefore write more for her to do. Um, I thought she was very well drawn. I enjoyed almost every moment that she was on screen. So I say that was a pretty good example of a female done right. Yeah, Saxa. I mean, Ellen Hoffman's great, but they didn't give that character anything to do but just have lots of sex with Gannicus <laughs> and be a badass. Be a badass with the Egyptians' knives. Yeah, she was great with that. But um, on top of that, did I was I broken up over Gannicus leaving? <laughs> her for Sybil and no but neither was Saxa Saxa seemed fine she already had a new girlfriend before the fin- before the final battle so Saxa was doing fine <laughs> yeah and, and as far as the other characters the I think the, the the person who most surprised me and who was the most pleasant surprise was was Manny Bennett as Crixus I underestimated him as a performer as an actor in the early uh in, in the early seasons I went back and watched some of the uh, the the pilot and second episode some of the early stuff and um, I felt a little vindicated in my initial read of that character and that performance as not particularly nuanced or interesting but then as I watched just a, even like the second the, th- the third fourth episodes of the series I I was having I found myself having an Anator moment where as I watched Fringe in its first season, I, I was not particularly uh, fond of the performance from Anna Torv. I thought she was fine, but not impressive. Then I went back and watched the pilot and was blown away by her performance in the first 30 seconds of it. <laughs> I just hadn't been looking correctly. And when I went back and saw some of the other um, moments from, from from Crixus in like you said, uh, Ryan, as soon as they start the Navia plot, all of a sudden it was like, oh, of course he was what two-dimensional earlier on. He's supposed to be. We're seeing him from, from Spartacus's perspective. But there's more going on behind those eyes. And I love that they find, they gave him such a wonderful send-off and such a wonderful vehicle to show his talents. Yeah, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Nick Tarabay's performance as Asher. I don't think we've talked yes. about Asher on this particular yeah. podcast because, oh. man, that guy. I hate that- him so much. <laughs> And yet, man, you watch Gods of the Arena, you're like, oh, 
of course he's that way. You mm-hmm. understand that way. But it was it was interesting because in terms of, you know, shows and their stakes, once he started uh, raping Lucretia, I'm like, well, this guy has to die under the rules of this show. This guy has to die or this show is bullshit. And they had him within two episodes. He was meeting his end. And that's what the show, you know, again, I keep harping this again. They 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 make you feel a certain way and they push characters to a place in which there is no way out of that corner. And then it doesn't let them out of that corner. But at the same point, the way that Asher was there and the way you, you just thought that there's no way they're going to let this guy die, even though he should. He gets out of everything. And yet at the same point, uh, met his end on the mountaintop. And but that performance, I mean, that's going to be something that people are going to be. Again, you'll see the tweets in a couple of years. They're going to go, that fucking Asher. You know, hashtag, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag, that fucking Asher. Uh, will be a trending topic worldwide at some point. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, we are out of time. Any final thoughts about Spartacus? Um, one of my favorite shows of the last 10 years, period, the end. It was number two on my top uh, 10 of 2012. Uh, I, I know War of the Damned is going to make it somewhere. Obviously, the year isn't over yet. Um I feel no shame in loving this show. In fact, it's been one of the great pleasures of my, you know, critical career to cover this because there's lots of shows that get over coverage, whether it be your Game of Thrones, your girls, uh, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, and those shows are all great. And I, and I like all of those shows to varying degrees. And that, but when you can find a pocket that there is an appetite for reviews of shows that aren't being covered and you can line up with that, that love, and get to write about a show that has so much context, so much subtext, and so much to say, not about just, you know, society in Rome at this time, but dragging it through to today, that's a pure pleasure. That's never going to end. The applicability of Spartacus is not going to go away anytime soon. People can rediscover the show. They will find things in it that they love, finds that they're going to be shocked by, and it's also going to make them cry on a fairly regular basis, and then... Thank you. Know, you'll thank the show for making you feel that way. And above all, the show just makes me feel. And that's all I can ask out of a television program. Simon, how about you? I think, um, first of all, it has me incredibly excited for whatever tonight's next project ends up being. Hopefully it's the sci-fi one he's already described. But I think the most interesting thing looking back on, on Spartacus is that it is absolutely a great series that does not look or feel or at least not immediately feel the the way that we think great TV looks and feels like it. It's a totally different beast from all those other great shows that Ryan just mentioned. And that, that is immediately just a thing of value because I, you know, clearly we can always use more variety in our, in our prestige dramas. And, you know, the fact that Spartacus isn't even considered a prestige drama is, I think, you, you can chuck it up directly to its aesthetic approach, and I think that's really unfortunate. But, you know, I, I think there's no question that over time it's going to amass a huge following. Um, I'll mention the music. as I, That's my go-to. I, there's some really fantastic music throughout the the series, especially in the last, you know, string of episodes. Um, and there should be more music of this quality on, on regular weekly television. The production 
of of the the show and just the the design of all the characters and of the sets and everything it's just a gorgeous show to look at and let's give a little love to to the people in charge of of the cg and the practical effects and whoever's job it is to come up with new ways to kill people after <laughs> 20 episodes of fights you'd think they should have run out of ideas but they kept it very interesting and, and engaging yeah you're right i mean tonight gets all the sort of the press there but rob tapper just co-producing partner down in new zealand he was on the ground there and responsible for a lot of the the ways in which the show looks and getting those enormous enormous you know vistas and shots and in productions on track and they, they did this from two different places and they both had equal you know sort of say in the ultimate product and you can see that on screen so i want to make sure that tapper gets a, a little bit of a shout out here on this podcast absolutely oh and libertus is the best episode and no one can disagree <laughs> i i agree i agree with you thank you I wrote about that. I said, and when it aired, it aired like in February. I said, this is the best episode of television there will be this year. And I, and I stood by it. That was phenomenal. I got to see 30 seconds of that ahead of time at a press tour. And I said, that's the finale, right? They're like, no, that's the fifth episode. I went, no, really, that was the finale, right? And they said, no. And I, and I said, please put your pants back on. I'm like, I'm too excited. Uh, and it's no, but you're right. Libertus, man. Oh, Libertus. So great. <laughs> Sorry, I'm excited. I, I'm so happy. I mean, I, I was I was a little bit worried about coming on the podcast. I was like, oh, you know, I finished the finale. I published my interview, and I'm going to walk away with my head, you know, head held high. But now, I, now I just want to watch Spartacus again. <laughs> well, me too. I, I don't have plans for the evening. I have a feeling I will be watching some some Roman blood on fucking snow. And I guess that'll be what I end with. I love the fact that this show the. The most fantastic and ridiculous and amazing things that happen are all historically accurate. And I love that. I love that the most outrageous, the most unbelievable, the most extreme things that happen plot-wise are all things that really did happen. And that this is a show that manages to live up to that and to to, to glorify that. It's it's wonderful. And um, it's been a blast talking with you guys about this show. Um, Ryan, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me uh, right over at the AV Club as well as hitfix.com in addition to my own site, boobtubedude.com. You can also listen to my three other podcasts, uh, Talking <laughs> TV with Ryan and Ryan, the Not Ready for Primetime podcast, which is uh, SNL-related, as well as Not Just TV McGee, in which I talk about television and other topics that pop into my brain. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Until we got that Delta Gamma letter that was all over the internet last week, which is pretty great Spartacus writing, you have to admit. <laughs> a lot I of F-bombs. You I, didn't read the letter yet? No. Oh, my God. All right. There's 
actually, uh, it's the most vile phrase ever, but it really does feel like a phrase that either would be in Deadwood or in Spartacus. The phrase cunt punt is used at one point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> if, if any, basically, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but basically the, the, the tone of the letter is, if any of you fucking bitches don't come out to this party, I will cunt punt you. <laughs> Oh my god! It's amazing. Go to Gawker. Go to it's all over the place. Check it out. I mean, in terms of the actual language, I'm I'm digressing here. But the language.